0: Welcome to another episode of our SaaS Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Ash, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Steve, an experienced leader who is driving the force behind SWAS. With a diverse background in technology, Steve's journey has taken him through various roles, from writing code as a developer to global trotting as a solution architect. However, it was during his tenure at Paypal where he managed product marketing for 20 alternative payment methods. That's the seed of Swaz, Varun Swan. Having witnessed firsthand the intricacies of global payment systems and their impact on people's lives, Steve was inspired to create a solution that addresses the everyday challenges faced by individuals and businesses. His travel opened his eyes to the profound influence of culture and regulations on payment preferences. And he realized the need for a versatile and inclusive payment platform that created for diverse market. So I hope you enjoy it. Okay, Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot Ash, good to be here. Great. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates
1: you that you can share with us? Uh, Yeah, I I have two, if you don't mind. The first one is the story of the three bricklayers. I think this is uh, quite relevant to the stage we're at as a business. Um, I don't know if you've heard this one before, but I'll, I'll jump in. So uh, a man's uh, walking along the street and he sees three, three bricklayers building a house. So he goes up to the, to the first one and he says, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you, what are you building? And the first one says, I'm, I'm building a wall. It's obvious. So he, he walks over to the second one and he says, well, what are you doing? And he says, I'm making £10 an hour. He says, all right, great. And he walks up to the third one and he says, and what are you doing? And he says, I'm building the world's Grey Cathedral. Um, and I think that third one is what sticks in my head for us as a business because it's not about the here and the now. It's not about the sort of nitty gritty. It's more about the big vision thinking for us um, and what it is that we want to accomplish. So that's the first one. That's a bit of an inspirational one for me to make sure that we're on track. Uh, and, and the second one is um is a little bit different a little bit left field so um hippos i'm gonna tell you a story about hippos so hippos are very capable but very dangerous animals i'm sure we've all heard the hippos have very sh- strong jaws etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah very capable very dangerous and um, and i found out yesterday that you can't outrun or outswim a hippo and um, i thought was was quite interesting so That means that the only way that you can beat a hippo in a triathlon is on the bike section. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed because I thought that one might bomb. But actually, the reason why I'm telling you that joke is because I believe in every single day, as a founder especially, I believe in either reading something funny or even reading something informative. So a fact or a joke every single day for me.
0: I love it. Yeah, I need to read more jokes though. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We all do, we all do, for sure. Yeah, great stuff. So, 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 so tell us about, um about Swaz,
1: then. What does the product do? Who is it
0: for? And what's the main problem you're uh been solved?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so Swaz is a peer-to-peer focused payments app. Mm-hmm. If you think about it from a, a competitor perspective, think about Venmo, something similar to that. What we're trying to build is an app that makes uh, in-person payments super easy, super quick and uh, fee free. And a lot of our competitors have uh, charges associated to them. We are trying to create a payment method for small businesses, you know, for everyday scenarios that don't incur any fees. Um, it's for anyone. So there's two sides to the business. There's the peer to peer side of the business, which is, you know, you and I go out for drinks and we want to split a bill. We could do that very easily using SWAZ as the payment method to be able to share money to each other. Um, and then there's the other side, which is the monetizing monetizing side of the business for us, which is the, the B2B play. We are focusing on SMEs. And again, based on my experience of seeing payment methods globally, um, there's a real need to rival cards and to provide a payment solution that is fee-free, very cheap, and gives merchants their money straight into their bank account are a small merchant like an ice cream man or you know a kebab shop owner or a barber cash flow is paramount for you and yeah. and you are held to a lot of the time you're held to the fees and the fee structures of the card payment uh rails which are going up year on year and so we see this as a great opportunity to introduce something to smes to people who are keeping our communities going and providing them with a payment method that, that isn't restrictive uh in terms of the amount of money that they can make sure sure yeah, and
0: it's a very interesting market to be, to be in, considering, you know, not just a developed country like UK, but all the other developing countries, they're getting into this habit of doing transactions online. You know, there was a time um, around five years back, my mother used to um, go to Sainsbury's and she, she, before going to shop, she used to go outside of Salesbury and withdraw cash from the ATM machine, yep. always yep. shop and only shop for the groceries, which is under the amount she has withdrawn, and then do the shopping. Yep. Whereas now it's, it's more comfortable, you know, do yeah. your shopping card and etc. Yeah. So I completely relate to that. Absolutely. Great. So Steve, I'm eager to learn more about the person behind this Innov- innovative, you know, venture. Can you can you take us back to your roots and, and share with our listeners? About your upbringing, your childhood—how did your early experiences shape your journey and eventually led you to become the visionary entrepreneur you are today? And but were there any key influences from your family or surrounding that played a significant role in shaping your entrepreneurial? You know, we'd love to hear more about the foundation that
1: set you on the good question i'm glad you've asked it i love the personal side of it i don't think we've got long enough to go through absolutely everything <laughs> it's a long long story but uh i could definitely highlight some of the things that have uh sort of drawn me to, to this point in my life so um growing up i wasn't a privileged child and i'm one of 12 children and six five that i grew up with five brothers and sisters that i grew up with and another six that i only met or found out about when i was in my mid to late 20s and um, so that's that's a story for for the pub for sure um so yeah growing up was hard my dad is uh, jamaican and my mum is english and um, the the complete polar opposite my mum is the most english person in the world and my dad is probably the most jamaican person in the world so um yeah my dad wasn't around a lot um he moved to the states so it was it was quite a tough upbringing yes uh, we met the you know, money wasn't money wasn't uh, always around, but we had a great childhood. I can't I can't criticize my childhood. It was fantastic. You know, I had older brothers. I was a middle child. I had older brothers and sisters, younger brothers and sisters. And you know, as a person, I think that actually helped to shape me. The, the the difficulty of growing up actually really helped to shape me. It gave me some some grit and some determination, and 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 also gave me a bit of freedom, if that makes sense. I wasn't being I didn't lead a very disciplined childhood. Um, I had a lot of freedom to be able to go out, be on the street, play football. Football was my number one uh, priority as a child. Um, in terms of schooling and education, I was, uh, if you ask my friends now, they'll say that I was really annoying because I was really good at everything. So <laughs> in terms of academics, I was like one of the best, but then I was also really good at sports. So it meant that people really hated me a lot. Mm-hmm. I so Yeah. Football, I mean, I was quite a natural athlete, but football was the, the sport that, that resonated with me, mainly because of accessibility. And this is yeah. part of the reason why I'm now coaching. Accessibility for children is huge. Um, there are some sports that are very, very costly. Uh, whereas football, you can play anytime. All you need is a ball. You can play yeah. it anyway, well most of the time. Um, so, yeah, I got into football. I was pretty good at football. I was a couple of quite big clubs like Chelsea as a youngster. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah, it kind of gave me my first taste as to the pressure that can be associated with success. Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't I didn't succeed. I, I kind of saw the game as a beautiful game and just wanted to play it. I didn't want all the pressure that came with it. Um, as a young mixed race kid, no dad around, I, I kind of felt very alone at times. So um, I was in that until I was about 15 years of age uh, playing for different academies. And then I just decided to come out. I also knew that I was pretty good academically. So... I kinda of came out and said, Well, I've got my brain, so let's just concentrate on that and, and and football can be a side gig. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did I did a lot of uh I did my 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 studies, got into university, ended up doing a computer science degree, graduated, went into the real world, but quickly realized that I still loved football and actually I probably should have stayed at it, right? Hindsight's, <laughs> hindsight's a beautiful thing, Ash. Um so I, I got back into football. And at, 20 years of age, uh, started playing semi-professionally, and I ended up having having a really long and successful semi-professional career, playing about 600, 700 games of football, uh, being on TV, in, in the FA Cup, and all sorts of stuff, so um, yeah, all of these experiences kind of led me to 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 where I am today. Awesome, awesome. Perfect story. Which team do you support? Chelsea. Oh, yeah. <gasps> <Bingham. laughs> <laughs> the one thing playing for them has done is it's kind of indoctrinated in that it, I have to now uh, support them. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I I
0: love their t-shirt by the way. I I keep going to uh, Fulham Broadway and these you know Parson and every time there is a gig, oh my god! Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, great So so let's talk about where the story began. Where did the idea for first Class came from? How did you start it?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, SWAZ was born out of frustration. It was also born out of um, a very worldly view that I have. Um, so you've mentioned it earlier in the podcast. One of my roles, uh, earlier roles in my career was as a solutions architect. And that, that I was traveling all over Europe in that role. And what that did for me was it opened up my eyes to the cultural nuances. Every single country that I was visiting had, you know, totally different ways that people were interacting with each other, spending money, things that they enjoyed socially. Um, And it really gave me a taste for what the world could be rather than what it was just, you know, how I'd seen it growing up. Um, Working at PayPal certainly elevated that view because I got to see, you know, different types of merchants, different types of people, how they were spending their money, what they were spending their money on. And then when I took over um, the product marketing function for, alternative payment methods. Again, that helped me to understand the nuances socially within different markets, but also from a payments context. And I'd really enjoyed my time there working on payments. And I saw how that touched so many people's lives Um, and also how important it was to people, small businesses, you know, individuals. It was really, really important. So once I'd left PayPal, I started another role. Didn't really enjoy that role. I saw how bad a startup could feel um, from an employee's perspective. And it gave me an energy to sort of say, I could do something here. You know, I can do something. I know the the market. I know the industry. There's a possibility here to do something. And then it all happened in about a space of about a week. I spoke to a good friend of mine, who's now my Mm co-founder. And um, we got chatting. And I said to him, it's really frustrating. You know, I'm, I'm going to football coaching tonight. Everyone pays me in totally different ways. One person gives me cash. Three people pay me by bank transfer. One of them always forgets what the details are and asks me. Another one pays me by PayPal. I end up not knowing how much money I've been given. So I end up just writing it off. And he said, oh, yeah, same with me. I go out with my friends and we uh, split the bill. And, you know, I never get, I get about half of the money back if I pay. So it's a real pain. And then we said, well, why don't we just do something here? And he was like, well, it's just APIs. He's the tech guy. He's like, it's just APIs. It's fine. We can do it. And I was like, okay, we need to start exploring this, weighing it up and and seeing what we can do. At the same time, a payment method in the UK called Payem. I don't know if you've heard of this, Ash. It was a failed attempt to do peer to peer payments by all of the banks in the UK. Right. Years ago. Um,
0: I think think the one I've heard about was uh, Barclays Mobile, where you put mobile number and you can set it. i have been to a couple of other countries where i've seen um this qr code thing where you scan the qr code and then you send the mark
1: but I, I i'm i'm struggling to remember the PM one but yeah go on. that's, that's a story in itself there ash the, the problem with PM was they launched it but they didn't market it so they didn't have a great go-to-market strategy and also uh, part of the problem in the uk is the banks didn't really get together and do things in a unified fashion so they all had their own experience. Barclays had ping it, you know, HSBC had pay buried really deep inside of the app experience. You never even knew what it was. And it was just this disparate experience for customers, which meant unless you were quite savvy to what it was or did your own research on it, it never really became as big as it potentially could have been. Um and that was actually discontinued in March of this year, I believe. And so I was reading a little bit of press about that and so many people were saying it's a failed opportunity, which it is. We look at other countries, countries like Sweden, with a payment method called Swish and how that's been adopted. And actually, that's a shining light on how good you can do it. Um, and it also shone a light on how badly we did it 10 years ago or so. Yeah. Yeah. Again. And, and, and when I went to, um, few
0: developing countries last time I have heard these stories because I always talk about these startups there are unicorns built around this particular space yeah. and and they're making so much money and they, they're able to not charge their users to receive money even for business users because they make money out of lending the same money which they, <laughs> they provide for, for the people who are receiving it. It's like Oh my God, that is so much good use of data you can utilize it. for, So that's amazing. Awesome. So when you had that epiphany, did you look into the market other than PEM? Were there other products? What was going on at that time? And what did you see from your research that encouraged you? To move
1: ahead? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, being in the industry gives us a little bit of an advantage. We have, you know, like I said, I have in- industry knowledge from globally, different markets and um, but in terms of the uk landscape it became very clear that there wasn't a standout player at that moment in time there were others doing something similar and those examples were monzo Revolut, paypal they're the three most popular um, payment apps in the uk um, for sending money peer-to-peer but they all come with their downsides so you know monzo and revolu fantastic They've done a brilliant job in terms of building those those platforms out. But during our research and when we were actually speaking to people, they are known as a peer-to-peer payment method. They're known as a, a neobank or they offer, they offer crypto or they offer foreign you know foreign currency or when you're going abroad transferring money, it, it, It's a very diverse solution that they've built, which is great. But there was no clear peer-to-peer payment method. PayPal started out with that proposition, but the problem with PayPal is if I send money to you, it gets held in PayPal. So you create an account, it doesn't go straight into your bank account, it goes into your PayPal account, it's your balance, you then have to withdraw it out. And so again, it wasn't giving people the money immediately, and that was one of the things that we wanted to overcome. If you look around the world globally at the payment methods that are the most successful, they're the ones that solve the problem of sending money quickly to people. So Cash App, Cash App in the U.S. Like I said, Swish in Sweden. You've got ones like bizum I urge you to have a read of Bizum in Spain. Massive adoption, super quick. Uh, you know, on a very very simple premise: send money to people and let them get it directly into their account very very quickly without charging them. Um, and we wanted it to do exactly the same. Um, the opportunity is there. Competitive landscape. Obviously there are big players and if they started doing something similar, um, you know, that might be might be a bit of an issue for us, but we still think that the opportunity is there for a direct peer-to-peer payment method that is solely focused on giving people money um, in everyday scenarios. Trust me, the big players
0: can't release things fast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I know. not yeah. that's the advantage of being a startup is exactly you know, if you're an fintech uh, especially in the transaction space and if you're doing something which is you know out of the box um even though uh, if this big fish has put a billion dollars on the table it's not easier for them to release it in the next six months so you're way ahead of them Yep. good to so, now. so now i'll have to go pitching for me ash <laughs> yeah this this is not me talking this is the accelerator programs and all these places that have been to and, and gathered this uh, wisdom from different places. Great. Right. So, um, tell me more about, uh, can you give us a sense of the size of the business where you are in terms of revenue, number of customers, side of the team, et cetera?
1: Yeah, sure. So we're very small. We're very early. So there's only two of us. There's me and a co-founder. Um, we also have an advisor um, in the US. is a good friend of mine who I worked with. He's very, very experienced um, in the payments uh, world. Um, and he's acting as an advisor, helping us as we start on this uh, on this journey. Um, Pre revenue, so we don't have any revenue to talk about. We have built, we're building a pipeline of customers. You know, I've got my local ice cream man who comes to me every day at the moment. Every day he's asking me, "When's it ready? When's it ready?" And we're trying to build out this pipeline of people because the need is is there, especially as small business owners. Um, so that's that's the status at the moment. Early stage, but we are building out the MVP right now. And it's quite a fun time to be involved because it means that you can you can you can try things out right we can we can build it we can try we can see what happens we can iterate um and we can really put it in the hands of the people that it's going to help and, and and work with them to sort of shape the experience so sure. it's uh it's an exciting time
0: so are you are you guys following um that new concept which is growing quite rapidly uh among uh you know developers around the world it's called uh, Build in public, sort of thing. Is it what you're following, or
1: no? I've, not, I've, I've heard of it. Because we're so early stage, we have not, maybe not quite there yet. And oh. Oh, I had heard to of to the concept. It's not something that we've spoken about. I think an my yeah, yeah.
0: It's it's nothing but just um, sh- sharing your progress while you're developing things, yeah. you know. And people just pitch in if you're doing something wrong or right. You know, they just tell you things more about it but you keep your source code open so that, you know, everybody can help you out if they want to. Interesting. Okay, right. Uh, Yeah, Uh, so that's good. That's good. Uh, So being a solution architect, I know that your brain must be always thinking about multiple things around the solution, not just about the APIs, not just about the security, not just about the data protection, all these things. How do you manage all these thoughts going into your brain? What is the strategy you're using in order to solutionize this, this solution um, and, you know, for potentially get out the MVP? Is it something um, you're using from your previous experiences or this is something you've created all new from the solution architecture perspective? yeah sure
1: so i I, it's it's a combination um of past and new Uh, obviously i want to leverage my skill set right my skill set was traveling talking to people understanding what the problem that they had and trying to find solutions within a given um set of products to be able to fit that that still applies um however i like the nimbleness and the scrappiness involved in doing something new. And I like the fact that it is stuff that I'm learning. I'm someone who believes that we're always learning. We don't just get to a point where we just stop learning. Mm. Um so I, I enjoy that there's both sides. I can use my experience, but I can also learn new stuff. And I think one of the key things for me, even in solutions architecture, although it can be very highly technical, um, the key thing from my experience has always been, it's always about people, you know, you're selling, something to people you're trying to solve a problem for people Mm -hmm. so i spend a lot of my time trying to understand what the issue is and that can be related to anything it can be that the customer yeah the end customer has a particular problem with with the experience on the app can be that a small business owner has a problem with the fees like i said earlier on surrounding cards and but it can be other things as well there's a myriad of different issues that people can be facing even down to things like regulatory, right? What's, where's the regulation come from? Why does this regulation exist? Oh, well, yeah. 10 years ago, someone did this, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so you have a little bit of sensitivity from a regulatory point of view because of this that had happened in the past. And I think having this view of people and motivations and being able to leverage history, you know, what's happened in the past, and, and maybe be able to push the boundaries a little bit because of that understanding... I think that helps you to break new ground. Um, I, I speak to a lot of people who are they're not they're not necessarily pessimistic, but they get very bound to the past. They get very bound to how things have been done. So, mm-hmm. you know, oh the regulators have done this or, you know, oh we can't do that in this country, or why would someone use a peer to peer payment method? I can just use my bank transfer. Oh, I can just log in and type in details. If we always have that way of thinking, nothing would ever move forwards. Mm-hmm. I think it's really understanding it's really really important to understand what was in the past, but to not be afraid or restricted by it. To always use that as a framework to build on for the future. Now we've built societies as these blocks, these building blocks. And I just see SWAS and our our mission as another building block and um, trying to achieve success going forwards. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely recommend you, Steve, to
0: book a ticket to India at some point go there for 15 days and walk on streets. You will not find even a single walker or a single shopkeeper without this QR code state on their businesses. I was so amazed to see that for a country where we, I think the conversion rate rate right now is around 100 to 1 for pound for their currency. And will you when you do see the number of transactions, I was, I was walking on the street and I, I asked the hawker, and he said, Sir, I charge 10p for this product converting into pounds. Yeah. And they do more than 3,000 transactions in a day. Yep. And I don't get charged for any transaction. And okay. I was amazed. Exactly. How much infrastructure you need for 3,000
1: transactions a day, right? Exactly. Yeah. But that's still making money absolutely and that that's the beauty of it and the thing is if you think about that from a from a societal perspective that person being able to use that payment method is so solving you know a societal issue it's it's they want to sell into people help people out for cheap and I'm sure they do pay in some way you know there's probably some cost associated somewhere along the line but from their perspective from an experienced perspective they're able to help people every single day that are walking past that need something in moment and they're able to do that from a perception of it being for free, which it should be, right? This, this civilizations were born on out of trade. Um, you know, people tr- would travel by sea to go and trade with others. There weren't fees associated to, to every single transaction. So this model, I know it's been around for a very, very long time, but it's, from my perspective, it's ripe for, for disruption. It, you know, especially when you see countries like India you know with qr codes sweden's the same qr codes on the side of pe- people's bands these are the lifeblood of our community You know when i go out i walk down the street i want to buy something from my perspective it's pretty easy i get my card out and i tap but from the seller's perspective it's horrible they get charged for every single transaction everything no, they, right. and that, that's in my opinion that's not fair on the small guy they shouldn't mm-hmm. they shouldn't have to we've revolutionized industries like um you know, like DVD renting, used to have blockbusters. Now you've got Netflix where it's a subscription-based model. Take as much as you want in a month. Why can't we do the same with payments? Why can't you pay a fixed amount for a really simple user experience that's almost comparable to card? Um, But all of a sudden, you're not giving someone else a share of your profit every time you sell. Um, So for me, it's an absolute no-brainer. Indeed, indeed.
0: And there's so much potential in terms of making money out of this data. You don't even have to charge any of your vendors. Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay. So I've got an an understanding of what you're trying to do with Shwas. Would you be able to share with our listeners what kind of, because we have a lot of tech listeners uh, to our podcast. Uh, 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 To my surprise, I recently started this uh, podcast and I was surprised to see the analytics. It has grown to 1,000 followers already. Um yeah, I, I was like, Wow, this is this is amazing. I, I didn't thought. But people are really, really keen to learn from people like yourself who are into the space already, because there's a lot of people who are thinking that they can't get out of that mindset, get out of their nine to five and then you know, get into this. So were you able to share about what kind of tech stack or technologies or what, what kind of um you know platforms you're using to
1: build this this platform? Yeah, sure. Um, my CTO would probably be better served to, uh, to go into massive details. Uh, we've talked about different technologies, uh, from an app. It's a pure app play by the way. So um, I believe we've settled on expo for some of the app build, um, with AWS supporting us from uh, a hosting and data perspective, uh. I'm trying to think of other things. So in terms of the API architecture as well, this is a key component of the position. Um, we need to be able to process payments very quickly and have direct access to a lot of the, the major banks in the UK. And there's this build versus buy argument, which is constant, you know, swirling around in your head. And for speed to market perspective, we have opted to buy. So we are doing an assessment at the moment of the best, um, best aggregator that wider to go with and to be frank with you ash a lot of them are geared towards enterprise so they're not actually helping startups like ourselves to get up and running quickly their pricing structure is a little bit prohibitive uh, and it's just like i said it's not it's not great from a documentation perspective either so um we're trying to work through that at the moment and my cto is you know messaging me every single day shouting and you know not being very happy um but yeah we're trying to assess which one's the best one i think at the moment we're looking at true layer um but because we're early stage it gives us that nimbleness you know we can build in sandbox we can go to the fca and let them help us and guide us on, on on uh whether the um the app is on the right track to getting regulated um and then we can launch we won't be being charged for transactions until we're at that point so um, yeah. We have a bit of flexibility at the moment to be able to pivot if we need to. Mm-hmm.
0: Just out of my, you know, naughty brain, I always do that whenever I uh, hear about these ideas. Why can't you just set up a normal UK bank account, get the payments into your bank account, and with some magic, with your help, help of your CDO, send the amount to the other
1: person? Can you do that? is that so yeah so it's, it's an interesting question and um i think i maybe i just need to explain it a little bit better so we are will never be in the money movement flow as a business swaz is only acting as a payment initiator so we are the technical layer between you and a friend let's say right all you're going to do is open up the app you're going to link your bank account to the app or as many mm-hmm. bank accounts as you want to and when it comes to sending a payment to your friend you're going to use SWAS to facilitate that bank-to-bank transaction. At the moment, you'd probably go into HSBC. If your friend's already been sent a payment from you, fine. They already, you'd find them in the list that HSBC has. Man, it's- yeah. yeah. If they haven't, and it's, you know, this, again, it's this social awkwardness aspect. It might be someone who you just met, an acquaintance. Um, mm-hmm. You would have to ask them for bank transfer details, right? And they would be like, oh, okay. It's amazing the number of people who just write off money, getting money back, because they don't want to deal with the social awkwardness associated to, to getting bank details. Yeah. Um, so back to the original point, we are not in the money movement flow. So from a technical perspective, when we get money from our clients or the small businesses, that will be slightly different to the movement of money. So we'll be getting money back from them in a slightly different in a slightly different way, which I won't go into too many details. Um. so, it what was the original question that you asked? I've kind of waffled a little bit there. No, I, I was just thinking that why do you need this mid-tier? Oh, I see. wider. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the technology, the underlying technology, the API providers will help us to be able to support all the end customers. So, it, it's really important that we have coverage for all of the UK banks, right? We have mm-hmm. the top 11 banks, which I think account for like 96% of customers in the UK or something like that. It's really important that we have coverage for all of those. So that means if you come and sign up to our app and you're with HSBC, like I said, we need to be able to process a transaction via HSBC to whoever it is that you're sending money to. Money or whatever. Exactly. Now, if we're building it ourselves and we're not using a a TrueLayer or a Yappily or a third party API that has all of those bank connections, we'd have to build every single connection into every single bank ourselves. And that... Significantly slow down our speed to market. Now, that's yeah. not to say that we don't want to end up there, but it's just saying that right now, in terms of speed to market, in terms in terms of us going through the proper product launch process that we want to go through, um, it yeah. important that we have that flexibility and that nimbleness to be able to uh, to, to try things. Sure, sure. Got
0: it. Now, got it. Yes, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I sometimes speak uh, talk about these uh, questions because. Come out of my brain (laughs) no that's what it's all about very good great stuff okay so let's let's um talk a little bit more about you and is there so so would you be able to share a moment when you were faced with a tough decision which yeah you have mentioned a couple of times and in in the talks previously that you had this where you had to make a decision again you're uh, trying to figure out which layer you want to go etc that has an immense impact on your trajectory or Maybe in future, it will have an immense impact. What is, how did you navigate through it? What is the strategy you used to navigate through it? The reason I'm asking this yeah. question, a lot of founders get confused when they face these kind of challenging situations and they don't actually know how to navigate through it. Sure.
1: Okay, so I've got a really good example. We've already pivoted once as a business. Um, I think I mentioned earlier on. This started out as a pure peer-to-peer payment method so the scenario was you and I need to send some money to each other how can we do that right now today very easily using bank transfer as the way to do it it very it became very apparent that people in the UK would not pay for such a service at this moment in time because they don't see it as a big enough problem to warrant them paying a fee and we surveyed between 50 and 100 people um, and we asked the questions and we really tried to understand if there was monetization attached to peer-to-peer payments in the UK. And I kind of knew the answer already because it's not monetized anywhere in the world, to be honest with you. Um, but we needed to prove that assumption. And so when we got that information back, we straight away had to pivot and figure out a strong monetization strategy, even at this early stage, that resonated with um With investors because we need investment we're looking to try and raise funds Um, and so we had to start exploring monetization options it just wasn't feasible to charge people to send money to each other and that's not what I wanted anyway I was I was only doing that to try and um, appease investors and get a bit more of a a cash injection to be honest with you Um, so we then pivoted and we pivoted and we looked at small businesses and we said who are the user group that need this the most. Who are the user group that have the biggest problem? You and I sending money to each other. It's a problem. Don't get me wrong, there's awkwardness around it. There's convenience around it, but that's not strong enough of a pull for you to stop paying. We don't do it regularly. Exactly. And 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 British people culturally, we're just used to what we're used to. We we you know we, we don't go seeking new new things. culturally again this is where I'm talking about the cultural nuances. A, a, a society like Sweden They can, you know, they're very quick at adopting new things. You know, they can roll it out super quickly, get everyone on board. And, you know, people will go, oh, what's this? And they're very, very open-minded to it. We're a little bit different in the UK and we kind of realized that. So we looked at small businesses and then we went through um, looking at the different profiles of small business owners. And we went from very, very small business owners, you know, entrepreneurs. It kind of started with me looking into the market in general. And it was astounding. I didn't realize that 99% of private sector businesses in the UK can be classed as small businesses. That's between zero and 49 employees, and actually 75% of them are just one person. So we are a highly, highly, highly entrepreneurial society, and yep. that suddenly light bulb moment for me was that's the opportunity right there. There are millions and millions of people out there who are doing peer-to-peer payments at the moment, and it's their lifeblood. It's their main mode of income so actually we can solve a problem for them that's where our monetization is and the problem for them in a lot of cases was they don't want to accept card payments you know if i'm going out and i'm doing landscape gardening Mm. i will reluctantly accept a card payment from my my customer because i know there's going to be a fee associated And and we kept hearing this over and over and over again and once that idea we validated that initial idea it was then about getting ourselves out on the street and really understanding what the impact was for people i spent a lot of my time over the summer and um, going to football tournaments with my kids and i i'm sorry you know if my son's ever listening to this in the future i missed a few games because of what i was doing was going and talking to all the all the stalls and asking them how much they're paying in fees yeah. and asking them why they're not accepting uh accepting cards or why they're not accepting cash and to really try and understand what the motivations for um for these small business owners was and what came back was that a a small business on the other end on the other end of the scale in terms of processing volume like a kebab shop like an ice cream man Mm in if they process cards in a month like july or june they can end up doing between 100 and 150 pounds a month transaction fees alone mm-hmm. and that, for them that became the that was like the epiphany for us you know that th- this is the area where a solution is needed and we talked about it from a business perspective you know i've talked about it with my co-founder he trusts me on the business and the solutioning side i trust him on the tech side so we talk about it we iterated over it and we really started to believe that that was the best approach the challenge there of course is is going to be um Making a, a um, an experience that's similar to card, but we're up for that challenge. You know, we we think we can do it, and we're gonna we're gonna try and build that out. Indeed, indeed. And when when you when you were asking this question,
0: did you do some background uh, checks with these companies who provide these card machine?
1: How much how much they usually charge? To, yeah, um, vendors. Yeah. So we looked. We did assessment of the the market. You know, you've got um, card providers. Um, or terminal providers such as SumUp and Dojo. And there's different ranges of these companies. You've got the newer entrants, you know, the SumUp's and the Dojo's. And then you've got the pace, you know, the quite enterprise-led um, versions. And they can range in fees. So you're, you're usually paying between 1.5% and 3.5% per transaction. Some of them would also charge you a fixed component. So they might do 1.5% plus 20p per transaction. Um, and then some of them will charge you for the terminal. Nearly all of them will charge you for the terminal, right? It, there's a maybe a one-off fee per year, 100 quid, to get a few terminals. Yeah. Or there's sometimes a, a fee associated to having a terminal every single month. There's also a service charge. There's also a charge for refunds. So it became very apparent very quickly that the industry was, was there, right? The industry is there to disrupt. People are making a lot of money, and it is pretty lucrative but there's an opportunity there to go in and to try and offer something totally different, you know, a different costing structure and slightly different experience. But again, that gives us the flexibility to maybe weave in um, some other bits and pieces into that as well. And I'll just say the fee structure for cards is very much dictated by history. Mm -hmm. You have so many players in a card transaction that are all taking their piece of that transaction which is why the fees are going up year on year. I think it's like 20% year on year because each time you do a chart card transaction, someone has to process it. Someone has to do the acquiring, which bank does it need to go to? You know, which card network am I running on? What's the fee that they've got? And do I, do we need to do some sort of check to see the fraud side of things? There are so many different pieces in that flow that it's just not favorable to a merchant. I mean, you know, even even with all of those things in place, you still get fraud. You still get issues of network connectivity dropping out. And um, mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's that's the assessment that we did. Now, that's that's a perfect
0: way to navigate through the challenges and then potentially understand where you want to go in the future. And then, obviously, you, you did a lot of research in terms of market and, and how your competitors uh, operate. Great. So... Before moving towards, uh, towards the end of the interview, I would, I would really like to, to know throughout your journey and experience, there must have been valuable lessons learned. So if you don't mind sharing, could you reflect on your experience that tell us about one mistake or a setback that you encounter along the way that you now consider maybe not a regret, but a lessons learned? And additionally, what advice would you give our listeners based on this experience?
1: I think the regrets is going to be that i didn't do this sooner i think mm-hmm. that uh anyone listening who is thinking about starting their own business or you know it's it's about a feeling inside of you if you know that the corporate world um or working for someone else it maybe doesn't drive you in the in the way that gets the best out of you then i would say don't be afraid to, to take the leap try it and mm-hmm. obviously we have a lot of concerns Uh, around money at the moment especially in this country with the cost of living so don't do it and put yourself in a a sticky situation but at the same time trust your ability um it's not necessarily going to bear fruit straight away but it will test you and it will test you in ways that are good you know it it will force you to think about things that that are meaningful you know you're not doing it for somebody else you're doing it for yourselves yeah and so that's the probably the, the biggest thing that I would say. It's not necessarily a, a setback. It's just I wish I would have done it in my uh, uh, in my in my late twenties, probably.
0: Yeah, and and
1: we do all uh,
0: have this, isn't it? We all want it because the the wisdom, the learning, the experience we have acquired by the time we understand it, um, we didn't have it that time, and that's why we did. We were not able to but it's good we are in a information world now, information age, where people could learn it early in their their, um, age. Great, so okay, we should wrap up now. We're we're going into the lightning round. I've got six quick questions for you. So I will answer them as as you can. Sure, let's go for it. Awesome. What's one of the best piece of business advice you
1: have received? Uh, uh, People sell to people. Mm. definitely the best piece of business uh, try not to look at things just as a product or you're selling a product try and look at it as you're selling a solution to a problem to a person um, yeah definitely awesome what book would you
0: recommend to our audience and why what What was the question again sorry Ash
1: what book would you recommend uh, um uh, oh How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Ah, I've seen it lots of time at airports. (laughs) Yes, really. I would highly. It was written back in the 1920s or 30s, around that time, I believe. And I'm very strong on people. I think that people don't change necessarily. Um, Technology might change and enable us, but I think people have stayed the same. And that book has stood the test of time fantastically. If you read that now. The strategies that were talked about 100 years ago still ring true today and are actually probably not talked about as much as they should be so i would say pick that up read it i read it at least twice a year and and every time i'm like yeah what a book it's fantastic perfect
0: what one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder
1: okay that's a good question um uh it's a little bit cliche but it's grit i think that you like i said my my background i haven't come from money um but i have this uh this grit that i don't think i could that could be matched um i wouldn't have gotten this far without it and i think you just you need to believe in yourself and you need to make sure that you have that stubbornness at the right time and in the right quantity don't don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not afraid to take advice. You know that's that's part of learning, but you also have to know when to double down on your beliefs and 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 really push through and persevere. Sure, sure. What's
0: your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
1: Uh, oh, habits, 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 habit is a good one. Productivity tool. Um, I would say habit. More so than a productivity tool. My my habit is to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do that for a couple of reasons. One, to keep my body in shape. But two, as a bit of re- a release from the stresses of being a startup founder, I think that um, it's my time to go and to um, connect my mind and my body, but also to be able to listen to a podcast, to listen to music and to get inspired. I see that as the reset. You know, the times when I go, it's so many things swirling around in my head that going to the gym gives me that reset. And it says to me, right, when I get back, I can concentrate on this, this, and this, or just one thing. Um, and it really acts as, as a really positive uh, driver for, for me to get stuff done.
0: Mm. Awesome. What's a new or crazy business idea you would love to pursue if you had the time?
1: <laughs> okay, great question. Um, there's two that I had about two years ago and my my wife and my brother shot me down, unfortunately, and I really wish I would have pursued them, right? One of them was a sleep pod. I was traveling a lot doing solutions architecture all over Europe and um, I was getting tired very frequently and I thought, why don't they just have a sleep pod in an airport where you can just get a nap for 30 minutes or an hour? Surely there's a solution there, right? It's the prime location. You've got the footfall. You've got people coming in. They're locked into that airport environment. It would be a great business idea. Like I said, unfortunately, I I was shot down. I didn't have the money anyway. Um, but that would be one idea. And then the other one, just before COVID, I sat at this very table and I said, I want to. In- I was going in and out of London a lot on the underground, and I said, I want to create a mask, a face mask, where you can plug in uh, different capsules that smell however you want them to smell, and you can breathe. You know, your own air, create your own environment, and 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 make it much more hygienic to travel on the train. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how I would have done it, but I thought that that was a good idea. And lo and behold, COVID hit, and masks became uh, the crazy in terms of selling. So I probably would have made a killing if I'd have done that one. You would have been the be a millionaire. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Exactly. (laughs) All right. Great stuff. And last but not least, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
1: Oh, an interesting or fun fact about me. Um, So I would say, um, yeah, I would say probably has to be football related. So, like I said earlier on, I've played about six or 700 games semi professionally. I played for a, lot, a few professional clubs in different capacities um, and i was pretty good at football and if you want to talk about football we can talk about football all day long i'm definitely a student of the game um, i coach now i have a great uh, under 13s team um and yeah it's probably a, a a good fact to learn about me
0: perfect perfect Steve, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story and backing the last uh, few yeah you know, years of building this business and and some of the ups and downs along the way. If people want to check out Swaz, what's the website where they can go? Yep,
1: yeah, uh, www.swazs.wa.zz.co.uk. you can go there, or you can find me on LinkedIn, steve-suds, um, and you can connect with me on there. I'm happy to connect with people um, and chat through the proposition. The other thing I'll mention is we are raising funds at the moment to build out the platform. Um, so if anyone's listening, is uh, interested in discussing uh, funding or uh, investment opportunities, again reach out to me and we can, we can have a chat Sure, definitely Let's connect on LinkedIn, I have a couple
0: of uh, potential people who might be interested because I know the guy who has created a bank in in UK so you okay. can be definitely,
1: definitely. Right. Cool.
0: So, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your inspiring journey and the
1: actual work you're doing Absolute pleasure having you on SaaS Stories Podcast. Thanks a lot, Ash. Uh, It's been my pleasure to to join you. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of our SaaS
0: Stories Podcast. I hope you found our conversation with Steve insightful and inspiring. If you are a founder or an industry expert interested in sharing your story on our SaaS Podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out. Simply email me at ash at artcircles.com and let's connect for a potential interview opportunity. If you enjoyed that episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and stay updated on future interviews with proven founders and industry experts. We have a lineup of incredible guests and valuable insights coming your way. Stay inspired, stay motivated, and keep building.